Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 54? More than one time, David was in a situation in his younger life where things seemed to be caving in. And there's a pattern, a divinely inspired, obviously, pattern that David seemed to always follow, it's seen here. First of all, an expression of shock and fear, I guess, at the danger that is being faced. The psalm or the prayer would move into then an appeal to God, an expectation for God to intervene. And then the end of the psalm would see the psalmist Praising God. So just in the same prayer, moving from fear to worship at the end of it. So this pattern is pretty much followed here in this psalm. So we look at it, and again, my, my uh, uh, verse numbers will be different from yours. This because it is numbered differently in the Hebrew text. So when his world is falling in, he expresses this fierce sort and uh, shock and makes his appeal. So it's for the conductor. On Nikonot, it's uh, that word Hebrew means uh, stringed instruments. A masculine a contemplation of David, when the Ziphim or the Ziphite, this Ziphim is how it is here, came and said to Saul, is not David hiding with us? Okay, let's, I know you'll remember this. It's back in 1 Samuel 23. David is running from King Saul. Word comes to him and his army that Keilah, an area that is on the border of the Philistines is being raided. The threshing floors are being raided. Now this was a, a fairly uh, common method for the Philistines. They had the superior numbers. They had the superior weapons. They had uh, weapons of iron, which were superior to weapons of brass. And the shields made of brass, all of their weapons just weren't, could not stand up to the iron weapons. So the Philistines knew they had the advantage and they just watched the Israelites work for weeks and weeks preparing the crop. The fields would grow and then the harvest would come in and the grain would be brought to the threshing floor. And there with sticks, they were on a flat surface, they would beat uh, the harvest, the grain, until the grain was somewhat separated from the rest of the stalk. Then the final thing was to throw it up in the air and the separation of the chaff and the wheat. So that's the threshing floor. And this is when then, when all the work had been done, and you're down to the final product, this is when the Philistines would sweep in 
and steal the crop. Generally, the Israelites were helpless. King Saul, by the time he received word, was so far away. But David was always roaming with his army. Word comes in Ke- that in Kela the Philistines are raiding the threshing floors. As was his practice, David went before Yahweh and asked Yahweh, shall I attack the Philistines? Yes, I've delivered them into your hands. His men seemed somewhat pensive about that. David goes back again. Let me make sure, Yahweh. You want me to attack the Philistines? Yes, I've delivered them into your hands. So he attacks the Philistines at Keilah. He saves the people there and he saves their crops and he routs the Philistines and they run. So what happens? King Saul is on patrol looking for David. What happens is this. The people of Keilah betray David. They said, yeah, he was here. Went that way. So David is again running from Saul and there's a bit of a space between the two and he, he goes to the place of, the, of the, the Ziphim or the Ziphites it may say in your Bible and passes through there and uh, there are some niceties there. But then David moves on and David, the Bible says, is on one side of a mountain and Saul is on the other side of the mountain. And where Saul has come to is the land of Ziph, where the Ziphim live. So the first thing they do is betray David. He was here, He's, he went that way. So this was a disturbing thing for David. He saves the people, he takes care of them, he protects them, and they betray him into the hand of King Saul. So the Ziphim came and said to Saul, is not David hiding with us? Now here is David's appeal for help. Elohim, with your name, save us. And with your might, avenge me or vindicate me. Halinim. The second word to vindicate or avenge is different from the first word, uh, which is, it's a, uh, it's Hosea comes from the word to salvation. To save or to deliver means to rescue, to deliver, to save, to release me from the danger I'm in. But the second word is stronger in the Hebrew than the first word. Don't just save me, but vindicate me and make this deliverance so powerful that people will see that you have judged righteously in my favor against Saul. This is his prayer. Rescue me, but vindicate me. Judge Saul in this thing and judge me according to your righteousness. Elohim, hearken to my prayer. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. Now, David is desperate. He's on one side of the mountain. Just over the other side is Saul. 
Saul has the superior army. If Saul catches David and his men, just on paper, Saul would have easily routed. Saul had about, what, 3,000 men, I think, at this point in this skirmish, maybe something like that. So David, it's like he's taking Elohim by the face and moving his face to his to David's face. Listen to my prayer. Incline your ear. Come close so that you can listen and hear what I am praying. For strangers rose up upon me, rose upon me. And violent men sought my soul, and they did not place Elohim before them. Silah, that is Silah. Stop, think about this. Strangers, violent men, sought my soul. In fact, the, the word uh, is life. Nefesh, my, my life, my soul, the essence of who I am. They want to completely destroy me. Elohim, they are strangers. They don't know you. You see, David has been anointed, and this has been years ago, but he was anointed. And David understands that he's under a mandate from heaven to be the next king, but it just doesn't seem to be working out very quickly. David then considers those who are after him as Alien to a covenant. They don't, they don't know your word. They're violent. They're the ones who are wanting to wipe me off the face of the earth. And they did not place Elohim before themselves. They put other, they put Saul, they put their own desires before them. And displaced Elohim in the will of God in all of this. And then Silah. That's that word that says, let's stop here and let this sink in. It's uh, used in the Psalms generally as a, as a musical term. It speaks of a rest, a definite stop to the music so that the crescendo of what has been prayed or sung in the song can sink in. Think about this. You have made me king and they are seeking in the name of the king to destroy me. They're violent and they're strangers. They're not of us. They intend indeed to wipe me off the face of the earth. So it's David's call, his desperate call for help. But then he begins to see God in all of this. He begins to take his eyes off of what might happen if Saul tops that ridge and comes to the other side of the mountain. And he fixes his attention on the power and the sovereign will of God. And so he says, Behold, look, Elohim is my helper. And then he calls him Adonai, my master, my sovereign is help to those who support my soul. Now he speaks here 
of his army of men, about 600 of them. Elohim is my helper. Adonai helps those who are helping me. They're supporting my soul. He knows that his army has been miraculously delivered time and again. And it's, it's somewhat like how Jesus would be miraculously delivered from the midst of the Pharisees who had, and Jewish leaders who had conspired to kill him. In the same way, in a spiritual sense, his helper, Elohim, Adonai, his help, his sovereign Lord, to those who support him, they are with him. And so, you know, it really doesn't matter what the numbers are with this army or that doesn't matter. Uh, God gives David the advantage. So he says, then he will return the evil to those who lie in wait for me. Cut them off with your truth. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again and he is seen as in what the revelation 19, he is seen as coming from heaven in power and glory. He is, he is in full battle array. He is the king, the victorious king leading a victorious army. Thus he is on the white horse, which is indicative of the victorious warrior king. And he has this magnificent robe. He has a sword, which is his mouth, his tongue. It's the truth. And it, it's as though he doesn't fire a shot. He just comes in truth, speaks truth. And the masses of the multitudes of soldiers in the, in the valley of Megiddo fall dead. In the Old Testament, the description is given of how in the radiant appearance of the Lord, the enemy is destroyed in the sense that in that radiance, their flesh melts from their bones and their vitreous, their eyes turn to vitreous fluids and their liquid flesh and liquid eyes melt and drop to the ground and the blood that is within the flesh just drops out the whole, I don't know how many gallons of blood a person has, but all the blood of the people. And then there's this river of blood that's as high as a bridle to a horse. Back to the revelation, Jesus is riding the horse victoriously on the battlefield where his enemy has just fallen and his horse is splattering the blood of his fallen enemy and his robe is splashed, it's dipped, it's splashed in blood. It's the blood of his fallen enemy. Now, Jesus just comes in truth. He speaks truth with a tongue like a sword and they all die. I don't know what kind of spiritual AR-15s all of the hosts of heaven will have, but it don't matter. We won't have to fire a shot. Maybe that won't be too disappointing to us to watch joyfully as all Christ has to do is speak the word of truth. Well, here, much the same 
the same scene is here in that, okay, they're over there, but they cannot defeat the truth of God. Now, the truth of God is that, of course, David is God's choice for king. So there is no hope for the enemies of David. So he moves from this cry of desperation to this confession of faith. And he begins to settle down and you can sense it in his prayer, in his song. It's one thing to get shaken all at once by looking at the power of the enemy and what the enemy is threatening to do. But then it's very settling to say, you know, he's the enemy, but God is my God. And his word is truth. And he has spoken things about this very moment. Namely, that David can't be crushed or defeated because he's destined to be the king of Israel. Now, from his cry of desperation to his, to his confession of faith and settling down to consider the power of God and the presence of God and all this, all of this now becomes worship. If you can think of this all in the same, just, just within minutes to move from fear and consternation, but then when you include Yahweh, when you include God, Elohim, and when you, when you put him in the equation, then the fear is dispelled. The certainty of the truth is seen and that brings the psalmist to worship. He commits to worship. You know, that's the third mistake I've made. That, that commitment is misspelled. Oh, well. Just proves that only the word of God is inerrant, not the slides the pastor makes. So now he moves to worship with generosity. I won't hold back at all. I will slaughter sacrifices to you. I will thank. Now he brings in the covenant name of Yahweh, of Elohim, Yahweh. I will thank your name, Yahweh, because it is good God makes a covenant. He, don't, he can't break his covenant. His word is absolute and true. When David writes the 23rd Psalm, for example, he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall never be abased. I shall never be made lower or forced into want because Yahweh is my shepherd. That same thought of, of praise is here. He thinks of the covenant, the promises of God. He has just moved from the truth of God to the deep truth within the truth that God has established a covenant with David. It cannot be broken. So he says, I will worship you freely. I will, I will be lavish in my worship and I will come before you thanking you in your name, Yahweh, the covenant name of Yahweh, the covenant love of Yahweh. God is bound to help David because of his word, because of God's word, because of God's covenant. It's not really that David is all that good. As a matter of fact, he reads 1 Samuel uh, 23 and 
by the time you get to 1 Samuel 23, David hasn't always been perfect. And he's not perfect after chapter 23 either. But the responsibility lies, and, and Yahweh assumes the responsibility. It lies with the one who made the covenant in the first place. David could not establish this covenant. You may recall back in Genesis, Jacob had this experience. He's, he's on his way to Uncle Laban. He's running from Esau and all that. And he has this experience and the angels are going up and down and all that. And he, he, he makes a deal with God, you know, man, I'm going to give a tithe of everything that I get. But you know what? Yahweh said to Jacob, I will establish my covenant with you. He had established it with Abraham, transferred it to Isaac. And now Jacob and not Esau is the one who will receive the covenant from Yahweh. That he is the progenitor of God's people. He is the progenitor of the Christ. And he will be the father of the people who will inhabit the land of promise. And so Yahweh says, I will establish my covenant with you. Nothing, even to this day, has broken that covenant. Not a thing. The world has tried. We'll have another at the end of at the end of time, at the end of this historical era, there'll be one last big attempt to come in and break this covenant of the people in their land. It'll never happen. Here, the covenant with David, it doesn't really, it doesn't really rest on the promise of worship. It rests on the power of Yahweh to keep his covenant. It's all of God. It's never of man. It's all of God. So here, I will thank your name. Now this, this is the covenant name of God. That's why it brings the covenant in to the fray. Because your name is good. The final testimony within his prayer, within his song. For he, that is Yahweh, for he saved me from every distress. He has never failed me, and he never did. And my eye saw my enemies. And what that means is, and it's a Hebraism, it means that I looked with victory upon my enemies. Even now. Saul's time is coming and David knows that and he knows that even in this, just by the fact that he miraculously escapes, although everybody around him are betraying him, even when he helped them and saved them, they still betray him. That's the way of the world. David carries the promise of the Christ. So this is in essence the world against Christ. But even then, David knows that the size of Saul's army doesn't really matter. The iron weapons of the Philistines don't matter. None of that matters because he is in a covenant with Yahweh. The great I am. Well, that finishes 
Psalm 54 here in this study. So let's pray and we'll, we'll be through for tonight. Father God in heaven, Lord. Give us this kind of adventure in our life. When suddenly we're beset upon with fear and intimidation, then cause us to immediately look to you and rest upon your truth and your word, which of course will lead us into worship of you. Thank you for this psalm, and for the demonstration of your power and the preservation of how you were with your people all the way and you've never failed us, not even to this day. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.